As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Like me, Lee Murray wanted to be world champion in the USC. He just happens to be involved in the largest cash robbery in the world. He's definitely not sane. <laughs> Showtime Sports presents the unbelievable true story about the MMA fighter who pulled off one of the largest heists in history. Huge amounts of money, armed gang, disguises, kidnapping. This is sort of thing you see in Hollywood films. We've never seen that for real. Catching Lightning, streaming Friday, April 7th, only on Showtime. Streaming with Paramount+. Plus. Hello again, Broncos country. Thank you again for joining us on our most recent episode of the Orange Weekly Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying what you hear, please subscribe, rate our podcast, iTunes, Google Play, whatever you're listening to. It would be a huge help. Just rate it, like it, subscribe, so you can hear more of the two of us telling you all about your Broncos and game needs. Here at Orange Weekly, we are all about football and football only. We do not discuss politics. We are just football fans. So you will not hear us talking about what Bronco was spotted taking advantage of the Taco Tuesday. Only this week's matchup. Inside the minds of the players, coaches, and an in-depth look at what you should be expecting this coming week. This week, your Denver Broncos, now 0-3 after the bye, have officially made the switch at quarterback for Brock Osweiler. It's been a rough month for the Broncos, so they're hoping that the leadership switch will give them the motivation they need to finish out the first half of the season with a win as they go into Lincoln Financial Field and take on the team with the best record in the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles. If you're looking for a podcast that tells you our opinion on this quarterback battle, you have come to the wrong place. If you want a podcast that tells you what to look for on the field, what each team is going to do to attack, then sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, Broncos country, let's do this. No better way to bring in our podcast than Orange, the Mad Fanatics. Thank you guys for joining us once again. I am joined by my co-host, Matt. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Jared? Not bad. Not bad. Uh, yeah? I could be better. Our Broncos aren't doing as well as we'd obviously hoped for. I guess we'll get over that pretty soon. Well, I'd hope so. It's been a bit of a, uh, a slippery slope recently. Right. So one of the things that we need to do is, is make sure that we look forward. But before we look forward, let's go through our first segment and talk about what we thought about for the last game in I Told You So. I told you so. All right, Matt, what did you tell us all last week before the game? Well, that's a pretty good question. There's a lot I think we brought up. The game sort of went the way I expected it to go. Uh, but one thing I do want to mention that I feel is uh, is noteworthy is, is I mentioned that Marcus Peters, the cornerback for the Kansas City Chiefs, was really a shut-down corner. This guy's a top athlete, one of the best players in the position in the league, and he really showed it uh, over the weekend. He had that fumble recovery for a touchdown. He also had that interception on Simeon's very underthrown ball 
and uh, you know, which was basically a free interception for him. Didn't really require any sort of uh, you know unnatural athletic ability, but nevertheless, he was in the right place at the right time. And it's really, you know, uh, he's a guy that you can't test. And the, the Broncos will be seeing the Chiefs again later in the season. I believe it's the last game of the season they play them again. So that could be, you know, very much a playoff-determining game for the Broncos. So they, they need to remember who Marcus Peters is and really not to test him, especially in uh, on important games. Right, and even minus the underthrown ball, he was still covered. Like, that was just great coverage by him. So, I mean, Absolutely. don't take anything away from him, but that, that it's under underthrown. You're right, he is a... He is an amazing corner and I think a little bit of a underappreciated one as well. Oh, big time. Yeah, he's a smaller guy too. He's only like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, I believe. You wouldn't necessarily... Some of the bigger corners in the league in terms of their 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 talent or whatever, they're around 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, like Tlaib's a very big man. Uh, Richard Sherman's right. a big guy. Uh, Desmond Trufant's a big guy too. And, and you know, you wouldn't expect a shorter guy to be so dominant. But Marcus Peters is, uh, is unbelievable for his size and his, and his quickness and all that. Right, so hopefully we can learn from our lesson when we play him again in the last game of the season. So for my I told you so, I did tell everybody that we are going to get the first turnovers. Kansas City had not had a turnover since the first game where Kareem Hunt had fumbled on his first carry. They had not had a turnover since, and we got two of them. I did mention that Alex Smith was going to throw an interception. However, no one would have guessed that uh, not only – it wouldn't be Alex Smith throwing an interception that anybody other than Alex Smith would throw a football. So I was wrong on that, but we did get the first turnovers, uh, not only for us that we haven't had a good turnover on from defense in a while, but they had not given a turnover since the first game. So I did call that one. So going into our next segment in who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? All right, in this segment, we talk about what we didn't see coming from that last game. Obviously, that last game went a little bit, like you said, almost according to plan from what we had talked about on the podcast. Is there anything that you didn't see coming, Matt? You know, the Broncos in this game had the most yards, they had the most first downs, and they had the, the longest time of possession. And usually these are indicators of, uh, you know, a dominant performance, but Unfortunately, given that they had more of a statistical dominance during the game, they still lost the game. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs right. just, they had five field goals. They didn't necessarily have big plays. They only scored one offensive touchdown, one defensive touchdown. But it was enough to just let them grind their way through the game and come out with the win. So, you know, kudos to them. But I definitely wouldn't have guessed that the, the Broncos would have dominated in the stats and still lost. Right, yeah, I agree, and that's probably one of the more frustrating things, and that's two weeks in a row that that has happened, that we've we've dominated in most of the statistical categories and still came away with a loss. So uh, the one thing I didn't see coming is Jamal Charles in his return to Kansas City after being their rushing leader, still their rushing leader, uh, coming out and fumbling the ball. And I'm not going to say it was an easy fumble. They, it was a great strip, and you know he was kind of tied up a little bit, and his momentum had stopped, and he kind of just got a little bit, he got a little bit complacent, and he fumbled the ball. So I, I wasn't expecting that from a veteran, especially, but especially a veteran going back to his old team. You know, I, I thought there'd be a lot more fire in him to to grind it out and make sure he held on to the ball, but that didn't happen. So that's the one thing I didn't see coming. All right, all right, the pass is behind us, and now we can get into what I really want to talk about is the future, the things that we can change and that we can do to come out of this first half of the season with a win and hopefully snowball affect us into a winning second half of the season to put us into the playoffs. So we're going to start off with our first segment, which is our favorite one, Brain Games. Brain Games. 
All right, if you're joining us for the first time, Brain Games is the segment where we talk about the coaches and who they are and what they do and how that's going to play into effect with this team. So this week, we're playing the Philadelphia Eagles in head coach Doug Peterson with a D. Uh, what can you tell us about Doug Peterson? Well, Doug Peterson with a D. He's a uh, very experienced coach in the league. He's part of the Andy Reid coaching tree, which seems to be growing every single year. Oddly enough, he he's coached for the Eagles beforehand as an assistant with Reid, and he also played as the backup quarterback for the Eagles back in the day. So he's got a lot of experience with this franchise. He's well-known in the community. He's well-known in the organization. So his... His sort of personality fits well, and he, you know, his expectations are, are the same as the fans, right? He's, he's able to fit within the culture because he knows it so well, which makes him, you know, every, when he got hired a couple of years ago, everybody was sort of questioning the decision. There's other bigger names out in the market that, you know, they thought the Eagles would take, but, you know, Doug Peterson was just the guy for them. You know, they went from a Ch Chip Kelly, who was just outrageous personality, this, you know, a little right. bit of a... Uh, crazy mad scientist in terms of football and uh, you know his experiment failed and then they went to the safe bet and Doug Peterson who was you know the OC for the Chiefs and blah 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 so you know at first he looked like nothing and nobody really knew what was going on but evidently it's it's paid dividends because the Philadelphia Eagles this year are the number one team in the NFL and they uh, they're not looking like they're going to slow down at all so the Broncos are having a pretty big uh, challenge here going from you know the Chiefs to the Eagles these are the two best teams in the league back to back it's uh, it's tough in the schedule Another thing too I want to mention is Doug Peterson runs a very QB friendly system. It's part of you know that Andy Reid West Coast uh, offense. They they don't use a lot of trick plays, but they they base themselves a lot in the running game. They have very strong offensive line, uh, very good communication, and very strong leadership too on the offense. He's a, he's a very great head coach that uh, is is getting better per game, and he's getting his name out in the league too. And right. lastly, you know what? He's close with Andy Reid. I'm convinced that these two guys probably, you know, sat down on their phones and chatted for a couple hours on uh, how to beat the Broncos. So he's uh, he's well prepared for this game, that's for sure. Right. And what I like about Doug Peterson, too, is and you, you hit it right on the head with him being a quarterback friendly. I mean, he took a quarterback out of North Dakota and and turned him into a star. I yep. mean, Carson Wentz is playing lights out football right now, and it, it's largely in part to Doug Peterson's offense, is it not? It, it really is, and it's part of the uh, the supporting cast as well. They've done a good job of putting a lot of players around Wentz, who is, like you said, a very young quarterback. He's only in his second year. Uh, usually the second year is a tough one. You know, they call the sophomore slump, but Wentz is... He's in consideration for MVP right now. He's tied with uh, the lead league in touchdowns, and he's done some crazy drives. He's very athletic, but they've got great players around him. You know, they bring in Alshon Jeffrey this year, Torrey Smith, a veteran wide receiver. Their offensive line is, is strong. Like, I won't talk too much about the players now, but not only that, but, you know, and the fact, too, that Doug Peterson used to be a quarterback in the NFL, he gets it. You know, he understand what, what this game is and what it means to the players and how to coach these players. So I think that's having a big impact, too, on uh, Carson Wentz. I think overall, they've just, you know, put him in a great situation and, and he's flourished. You know, it could have been complete the opposite. It could, this guy came from North Dakota, a Div 1 right. AA school, I think, you know, the second division, Division 1. And he's, he didn't really play against strong college opponents. And now he's just dominating the NFL. And it's, it's beautiful to see. I'm so excited for Wentz and the rest of his career. Yeah, and, and watching him is, is a lot of fun, too. Um, oh, yeah. And I, and I don't want to give him too much credit because that, that's going to be interesting, too, going into Denver because we have 
some people that can get him a little riled up and see what he does under pressure. But before we get into that, let's talk about the Eagles offensive coordinator is Frank Reich. But I think we talked about this earlier. Doug Peterson's the one that, that calls the plays, correct? Correct. Yeah. I read an article yesterday and it said that, you know, he doesn't want to give up the play calling. It's part of the game that he loves. You know, he's, he's very similar to Andy Reid in that sense. A lot of Andy Reid's pupils and people that come out of his coaching tree, they, they like to call their own plays. You know, he sort of set them up for success like that. Oddly enough, we spoke a couple weeks ago when the Broncos played the Giants. And we said it's bizarre how, you know, some head coaches call the plays when they have so many professionals around them. And, you know, with um, McAdoo, who was calling the plays and the offense was garbage or whatever. But now it's some teams do it properly and they do it in a way that works well for them. And, and Peterson's a perfect example of that. Well, and, and I think something to mention, too, is the balance. Like, it only works when the head coach has the right balance to be able to not only just yes. balance the offense and defense, but knowing you're the head coach, you can't give priority to the offense just because it's your squad and that those are the ones you're calling the play for. So, I mean, we've seen it over time and time again in practices just at the amateur level, knowing that if you're calling the plays on offense, you can't give the whole week of, of practice to the offense and, and completely ignore the defense because it just creates a bad atmosphere for the players and the coaches in general so I think what he has there is a very good balance of knowing okay yeah I'm calling the offense but our defense which is very good also needs their practice time as well yeah absolutely and what's great too is that he has an ex-head coach running his defense in Jim Schwartz and we're going to talk about Jim Schwartz in a few minutes but you know that's really really good to have if your head coach can be calling the plays because he can focus on the offense while you have a very very strong leader on that defense who's able to take charge the Rams do that with uh, McVay who's I think 32 33 or something he's the yep. youngest head coach in the league and then he's got Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator who's got Smart. head coaching experience who's a great leader as you know every Broncos fan knows so you know that that's where he achieves his balance and Doug Peterson's done a great job of doing that and instead of bringing in a rookie uh, DC he's brought in somebody with a lot of experience and sort of says you take care of the defense I trust you and it and, and that mix especially when the personalities blend well together is very very strong and it's hard to play against for other teams yeah I agree so what are we expecting from Doug Peterson Frank Reich and the Eagles offense going into this game well, I'm going to expect them to do pretty much what the Chiefs did against the Broncos. Like I said, they probably talked to Andy Reid this week and, you know, sort of picked his brain on how he did it without, you know, giving away too much. They still have to earn their win. <laughs> but I think they're going to focus on establishing the run. They got a new guy in Jay this week. I don't think he's going to be playing a whole lot since he's new to the team, but nevertheless, he might see the field a little bit. But uh, they're going to establish the run. They're going to make sure that the Broncos are filling the box. And then after that, they're just going to hit them with a few big plays down the field. Uh, they run a West Coast system, so expect a lot of play action. Expect Carson Wentz to be in motion a lot this game he's going to be running around setting up bootlegs slide protections qb draws different option runs like that just to keep the broncos defense really on their heels right you don't want them to get in a good rhythm or momentum you have to throw a lot of different looks at different plays so i think that's what doug peterson and frank reich are really going to be putting together this week uh, frank reich is another um, you know very experienced coach he's been in the league in one way or another for 25 years uh, he used to be the OC for uh, Philip Rivers and the Chargers 
when, you know, Rivers was having his best years. And he was also a backup in the NFL. He backed up Jim Kelly back in the 90s and late 80s, I think. So this guy, he's, he's been part of winning systems for a number of years. He's a great mentor for Wentz. And he's able to work really well with Peterson and, and put together a great strategy and a great game plan for, uh, for the Broncos here. They're going to be well prepared. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think that Joe Woods has his hands full with this Eagles offense coming in. And and like you said, they have very similar play styles to the Kansas City Chiefs because of the Andy Reid experiment, I'll call it. But I, I think what really happened, though, in, in the Chiefs game last week is our defense still shut down the Chiefs offense. So I think it's going to be a lot more of the same going into it. The Denver defense is going to play a lot more of that same coverage. Played a lot of zone going into third and mediums. And I think we're going to kind of stick to the man going into that. However, it is important to mention that the Eagles offense has the number five rushing yards per game. And they're going up against us who have or the number two rush defense in the league next to the number one rush defense league. It just happens to be Philadelphia. But the number two rush defense league and their number five rushing yards per game. So this is going to be two run heavy offenses going against two run dominant defenses. So that really is going to make it open up. It's going to have to open up the pass game, which is going to be interesting to watch. So I think what Joe Woods is going to need to do is trust his inside guys, trust that, that front seven, the front five really, and expect them to make the stops in the run game. And then we just have to make sure that they're, and we mentioned this last week too, is that you stop their main athletes and they're going to have to find other ways to make first downs and get touchdowns. And the Kansas City Chiefs did in their tight end. And we're going to make sure that we're going to stop the main athletes, which is the Philadelphia run game, which will stop. And then the Philadelphia pass game is going to kind of come secondary because of that. But I mean, they just have a great offense just in general. So it's going to be interesting to watch and see how dominant our Broncos defense can be against that really good Philadelphia offense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing to point out, too, is the Chiefs have uh, Travis Kelsey in their tight end. But uh, the Eagles have Zach Ertz, who's actually the number one tight end in the league. And uh, Travis Kelsey is the number two. So they're facing, again, an elite tight end. So expect Ertz to mimic Kelsey in uh, in this game. You know, you will see the same sort of plays. We'll see probably that slant go that they scored on against, um, I think, Stewart was covering uh, Kelsey yeah. in that point. We're going to see that route. We're going to see Ertz used in the same way that Kelsey was. So, I mean, the Broncos, hopefully they learned, they learned how to defend it, and they're going to implement those strategies too because uh, it's a sin if your best player beats you. So, you know, they need mm-hmm. to make sure they're on top of that. All right, so we have two run-dominant defenses going up against two run-dominant offenses. Uh, So now let's flip this side of the ball where we have less than stellar offense in the past with a brand-new quarterback in the Denver Broncos going up against a very stout uh, Eagles defense, especially in the run game. Uh, What can you tell me about Jim Schwartz and what he's done with this team since he's gotten there? Well, he's first of all changed their formation when he was with when the Eagles were with Chip Kelly. They ran a 34 sort of hybrid defense. It was really built for endurance because the Eagles had the lowest amount of time of possession in the league, but they had the most amount of plays run. So they needed a defense that was like flexible and hybrid and all that. It didn't really work very well, but Jim Schwartz came in and changed it back to a 43, and it's been very successful. He runs, you know, again, a very standard dominant system. It's not as simple as the uh, the Bills system. 
that we talked about a few weeks ago, but it's uh, it's a little bit more zone-based. Their DBs aren't as strong as a lot of other teams. They've got uh, Malcolm Jenkins there, the sort of quarterback of the defense, but you know the rest of the corners, there, and there's a, there's a little bit of weakness there, and you can see it too in their stats. They, uh, they average 257 uh, passing yards against per game and ranks them at number 26 in the league. So, you know, it, it shows really where uh, that that's where their weakness is. But uh, nevertheless, um, they're still very disciplined. Their, their strength lies within their pass rush. And Jim Schwartz has done a great, great job at establishing a good rotation with his defensive line to keep his players uh, you know, fresh and, and agile and aggressive. And they've got, you know, big names across the board and they're all playing really, really well. They're really successful at pressing the quarterback and they're really good at stopping the run too. They're ranked number one in run defense. They only allow 70 yards per game on the ground, which is a little bit better than the Broncos at number two, but it's still very dominant. So, you know, they're, they're good at stopping the run. They're very disciplined. Their weaknesses in the past, so they try to make up for it with some zone schemes and a little bit of twist and turns around here but um, it, it's still going to be a very tough unit to play against Jim Schwartz is going to bring his A game against the Broncos knowing that they have a brand new quarterback he's going to do everything in his power to you know get him on his toes really early and to get him on the ground really early and to make him you know stress out during this game to give him an advantage yeah so, so it sounds like the Eagles run a very similar defense to the Broncos where it's other than the 4-3 I mean you're running a very stout defense you you throw in a couple twists and turns here and there but switch to zone in the third and mediums third and longs just to kind of throw them off that's I think what we're going to be going up against and I think practicing against that in in practice is really going to pay off for us in the long run Mike McCoy is last week I said that he was on the hot seat and I know that there are a lot of fans that say that he's still on the hot seat, but I don't. I don't think Mike McCoy is on the hot seat anymore because he called an, a, a pretty good game, to be 100% honest with you, and, and I think that it was just not executed, whether it was dropped balls or bad throws or uh, missed blocks or whatever the case was. There, was. there was receivers open. There were open holes. I mean, we still ran pretty well throughout that game, so I don't think it's a Mike McCoy issue anymore. I don't think that there is something wrong that Mike McCoy is doing that we could be doing something different. I just think it's an execution situation. And I think that's what Vance Joseph, Mike McCoy, and John Elway are all thinking with this quarterback switch. So what I like about this quarterback switch is, and I'm not sure if anybody out there that's listening have noticed, but we got away from the rollout play action very early in the season. His rollout, his play action rollout was not very good. And what would happen would he would, do the play action and roll out, but he would drift so far away from the line of scrimmage that he was throwing at least 15 to 20 yards just to get the ball back to the line of scrimmage if he was being pressured. And if you haven't noticed in the past probably five or six games, four or five games, we haven't run that play. We haven't run any of the rollout play action. And what Brock Osweiler brings to the Denver Bronco offense is that rollout play action, which is a huge advantage for us because not only can we, do we have a little bit better of a play action, but now we can get the ball out and take some of that pressure off of the offensive line. With our run game the way that's been going, we really can take more advantage of we could take advantage of the play action to the left and rolling out to the right, which is Brock Osweiler's strong arm and it's his strong way to go. So 
I think you're going to see a lot more layered offensive plays called, which means you're going to have a tight end drag across. You're going to have uh, a deep post on the backside. You're probably going to have some sort of Z route on the right and maybe like a, a fly, but it gives him layers to look forward to and three reads that are right down his line of vision, which makes it much easier for a quarterback. So I think you're going to see quite quite a few more plays called like that with the rollout just because Brock Osweiler has that mobility to be able to get out and not drift far away from the line. It also takes pressure off of our offensive line a little bit. So yeah, so Mike McCoy is going to throw a, we're going to go back to our run heavy offense, uh, try to break that number one rushing defense of what they are. And if we can't get that going, now we have Brock Osweiler going in there. And I think that's another reason that we switched from Simeon is knowing that they have a very stout run defense. If we can't get that run defense going, we know what happens that we get forced to throw the ball. And in the last three games, we know exactly what happens there. And Simeon just can't take, take advantage of those situations. And he, he's proven that. So we're going to go through into this game knowing that we're going to try to establish the run. And I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of play action knowing that we're going to try to run the ball. And that's what we're going to get out of Mike McCoy going into this week. All right. So that does it for brain games. Obviously we love hearing about the coaches. We love talking about the coaches, but now let's move forward and talk about the players in survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest. All right, again, for you guys that are just joining us, Survival of the Fittest is where we get to talk about what key players we think are going to make the difference in this game, and if they have a good game, their team has the better chance to win. So for Survival of the Fittest, let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles offense, that dominant offense that's been going on so far. Who do we think is going to be the key player to watch out for this game? Well, every week we can talk about the big stars. We can talk about the guys that everybody knows about. But this week I'm going to talk about some of the lesser-known players. First of all, I just want to mention that Jai, everybody knows he's been traded to the Eagles. I don't know how much playing time he's going to get this week. If I'm the head coach, I'm not letting him go just yet. I'd rather him take another week, learn the playbook and all that. But I'm not an NFL head coach, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't make the decisions, but uh, regardless. So keep an eye out for him. They've got a lot of good running backs back there in Blunt, Barner, and Smallwood. But nevertheless, the guy I really want to talk about this week is, give me a chance here to say his name, is Hala Pulivati Vatai. I think that's how you say it. I'm sorry if it's not. I'll call him Big V instead. So the, the reason I'm bringing this guy up is because their Pro Bowl left tackle, Jason Peters, he's out for the year, and it's uh, that's you know really bad news. He's one of my favorite players in the league. He has been for a number of years. He's been an amazing offensive lineman for a long time. A um, little tidbit on him is he was drafted. He was actually, I believe, undrafted as a tight end, came into the Bills as a tight end, and then they convert him to left tackle, and he's been wow. in the Pro Bowl. He's been an amazing athlete for a number of years, but now he's out. So Big V, he's going to be... We're placing him on that left side, and he's going to be going up against some very, very good pass rushers. So it's going to be, uh, he's going to have a big task on hand. You know, I'm convinced he's able to do it. This guy, I've seen him play a little bit after Peters went down, and he looks really strong. He's going to have a lot of help around him, too, and the running backs able to chip and the tight ends and all that. So he'll be, you know, I think in good hands, but he'll be somebody to watch. He can make a big difference in the game. And the other guy I want to bring up is another person on the offensive line, and Jason Kelsey. 
Jason Kelsey is the uh, center for the line. He's also uh, Travis Kelsey's brother, believe it or not. You know, a nice wow. football family there. Um, but anyway, so he's, he's you know, he's the quarterback of that line. He's going to be very key in the communication and the blocking schemes and helping Wentz out against a strong defense. He's going to really need to take the reins on this to make sure that Wentz is staying clean back there, that, that you know, Vitae knows what's going on, on that left side, that there's help to, to protect if they need help. So it's there's going to be a lot of communication that's going to be on point during this game, and it's going to pay dividends too if it works out if that line stays secure and they're able to keep miller and ray and and uh, barrett out right. of the pocket they're gonna have a, a big day i mean kelsey's also gonna have a, a large task playing against a large man in pico so it's gonna be uh, he's gonna be challenged all day i think they're up for the challenge you know the, this team is very strong the receivers are strong and everything across the board this offense is there you know there there really isn't a weak spot other than the backup left tackle and even then this guy's gonna be pretty strong so you know, for me, my survival of the fittest is really this offensive line in, in the backup and in Jason Kelsey and, and his communication and helping out Wentz and, and protecting him and keeping the ball in the air and in the hands of the running backs and receivers. Yeah, and Kelsey, he's been starting for, he's been the starting center for the Eagles all year, right? Yeah, he has been. He has been for a couple of years now. That's interesting that you mentioned the left tackle. I feel like every week on this podcast, we mention that the big key players and, and key matchups to walk, watch out for are the uh, ends and the tackles or the outside linebackers and the tackles. So, And again, I'm going to kind of keeping with the tradition here, we're going to talk about a little bit about Shane Ray and Von Miller. Now, less that they're going up against you know backup tackles and the backup left tackle, which will be going up against Shane Ray. But Shane Ray came back from injury last week and had a couple pretty costly penalties against him. Just not watching, not keeping his eye on the ball and listening to the cadence instead. He had a couple uh, offsides on him. So we need to really focus on our penalties on defense. And I think that's where it starts. Shane Ray and Von Miller being able to keep themselves, and obviously they pride themselves on being able to time the ball and get out to the outside. Outside of that, well, is getting pressure on this second-year quarterback. And he hasn't really been, and he, he is a mobile quarterback, so that's something he has going for him, but he hasn't really been pressured the way that I think some of the AFC West teams can pressure him. And we have, in all of the AFC West, we all have very good pass rushers. So, it's going to be interesting to see when he starts getting pressured, where he starts going with the ball. And I, I definitely think that they're going to get it in stepping up from that. And I don't really want to talk about, you know, Chris Harris and, and Aqib Tlaib because they're going to play well each week. So on the other side, the Philadelphia defense, we're looking at the Philadelphia defense now. Uh, who on that defense is going to be the player to step up? Who's going to be that guy that's going to rattle our already shaky offense? Yeah, um, well, you're right. You know, every week we talk about the offense and defensive line, especially the tackle spots. Um, you know, I, I personally, I know that I'm I'm quite biased about that simply because I, you know, I'm I'm an old offensive lineman and I, you know, I, I coach a position, and it's probably what I watch the most in the game too. But at the same time, you know, for those who really understand football, it's the, the line, both offense and defense, is where the game is won and lost. If you can Absolutely. dominate the line. The entire flow of the game changes. If you can really win that battle, that line of scrimmage, it's amazing what kind of difference it can make. And I think that's where the Broncos have been struggling a bit this year is really taking that step 
at that offensive line spot, protecting whoever's back there at quarterback, and right. engaging that running game. And the running game has been slowly fading throughout the year, so it's it's about that line, and, and I'm going to keep that trend going with this week too. And I mentioned a bit about it a bit when I talked about Jim Schwartz, but this defensive line rotation that uh, Philadelphia has has been uh, remarkable. I, I, I remember hearing during a game that Chris Long early in the season, uh, yes, same Chris Long that was drafted by the Rams a number of years ago, and he's been around. He won a Super Bowl with the Patriots last year. You know, a great leader, great veteran in the league. Um, he, you know, he's part of this defense. He's actually listed as a backup. And he said earlier in the year he had struggles with, you know, the fact that he was a backup, not getting a lot of plays. But he said that he slowly realized that this this team is not about starters and backups, it's about rotation. So on this defensive line, they've got Vinnie Curry, Timmy Jernigan, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, and then they've got Derek Barnett, who's their first-round pick from this year, Chris Long, who's a great veteran, Destiny Vallejo, and Bo Allen. And all these guys can be interchanged at any point, and that's what Jim Schwartz does. He's always key keeping their D-line fresh in order to give them an advantage to win at that line of scrimmage, which can then in turn lead to a much easier flow of the game for that defense. So that's, you know, that's one big element that, you know, I want to stress for, for the Broncos and their fans and everything is really winning at that line of scrimmage. And this defense, it's not four starters you're playing against. It's really eight players that, you know, they're, they're going to have to go again and prepare for, for this game. So, that's be challenging. The other guy I want to bring up is Joe Walker. Now, Joe Walker is the backup inside linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jordan Hicks, uh, who was you know a star player, would have made the Pro Bowl this year probably. He's out for the year. I think he had a torn Achilles, which um, you know it sucks. Like this guy is really good. He's dynamic. He's young. He's exciting to watch. But unfortunately, he's out. So Joe Walker's coming in at a big position. Um, this guy's the center of a defense. He's going to have to make some calls. He's going to have to really run this team. Team, and it's gonna you know if, if he does a good job it's gonna help the team and if he struggles it can be a challenge for this entire defense so keep an eye out on him Joe Walker he's gonna be pretty good he wears number 59 and then again just the rest of that D line and if they perform well the entire defense will follow through and if they don't then you know the Broncos will have a much easier chance at winning this game right and I echo your comments on the offensive line because as you know the each game lives and dies by the offensive line. And that's something that we're learning, not just last year, but this year. And I think what the Broncos did offensively this year was we got a lot of very good run-blocking offensive linemen. We have Ronald Leary, Menelik Watson. Those are guys both great run blockers. And now Ronald Leary was probably the best pickup since Peyton Manning in an offseason trade because he's actually playing lights out. I mean, I think he's ranked number three pro football focus guard in the league just playing great great offensive line however it's the tackles that are really kind of slowing us down and and we picked up Garrett Bowles who's a rookie and he's kind of stepping up and becoming his own figuring out how things are working in the NFL and then Manalik Watson who and to be honest with you he plays very well but this goes back to something too that I feel like uh, Von Miller had mentioned this in a interview two or three weeks ago he had mentioned in the interview that as an offensive lineman, the whole focus is set on you. You can have a great game, let up one bad block or miss one poke check, and you're you're considered a terrible offensive lineman. But on a defensive line, you can have a terrible game and just get one lucky swim move and get to the inside and get a sack, and then you're the greatest player on the team at the time. So there's a lot of pressure on the offensive line. I, I do say like those big guys up front are the silent the silent killers, like those are the ones that that make or break a team and make or break where you're going to mm-hmm. go in your season. 
And I think that they're severely underpaid compared to some of these big name quarterbacks and receivers and running backs. I think they're the guys that really make make the player. That's something that you're right is needs to be said and needs to be pointed out that they're underappreciated, but they still do their job and they do a great job. Absolutely. And another thing too, I want to bring up the, that money thing you mentioned, it, it's, it's true. I mean, often some offensive linemen get paid a lot. They, they, it's well-deserved. Mm-hmm. They can be very highly paid, you know, but at the same time, a lot of them, they don't do it for the glory and right. offensive linemen as people are often known as the best team players. They're known, they're some of the smartest people on the football field. They're the most dedicated. They're the ones that probably work the hardest. They do a lot of the grunt work. They do a lot of the stuff that nobody else wants to do. And they get no glory for it. So why would they do it? You know, why would you put yourself in a position where every single play for three hours, you're, you're running into someone who's just as big, if not bigger than you, and your job is to push them. And then you right. have to get up and do it all over again. Get up and do it all over again. If you're doing a good job, nobody knows about you. But if you do a mistake, everybody knows your name. You're the one that's the, you know, the fault and everything. And these guys just keep doing it. Like, people that are offensive linemen the, the the men that play this position from when they're boys to adults are outstanding humans they're incredible athletes and they deserve a lot more recognition that they get but at the same time they don't care about the recognition they want to win they want to support right. they want to be of some part of something greater than them which you know the best ones are and it's it's remarkable look at joe thomas you yeah. know i can speak about this guy for an entire podcast but he went for over 11,000 consecutive snaps that's without taking a playoff that's without an equipment issue that's without a little bump you need taped up that's nothing this guy went for 11,000 consecutive snaps no other athlete in the freaking league could do that. You know what I mean? But he doesn't complain. He doesn't say anything. And he's with the Browns. Right. He's played his entire career with the Browns. Anybody else would have jumped ship way earlier, but he re-signed with them. He stuck it he out. He's an advocate for the them. team. Yeah, he chooses to do it. Like, you know, offensive linemen are these people that are just essential to success in, in any football team. And, and them as humans, the personality traits they have leads to success in other organizations. And and it just, it, it's remarkable. So, you know, I'm sorry for my little rant there, but it's, you know, they don't get the glory and I think they deserve to get a lot more glory than they do. You know, they, they're really just essential to, to the game of football and it's, nobody really talks about it. So all the receivers and the tight ends and the running backs and right. all those QBs, you know, they're not important. It, and as a skills guy too, even sometimes you completely forget that that the line has so much control over how the game goes and how it doesn't go, and on both sides yeah. of the of the line. And I mean, it's just it's remarkable to to see. And and even it's I'll bring this up too is some of the best quarterbacks are good quarterbacks because they have that good relationship with their offensive line, which brings me into our offense. Uh, I think something that Simeon didn't have was communication with the offensive line. There was yeah. a lot of times that you saw in this past game, you saw Kansas City was rushing and it looked like the offensive line was blocking for a three-step and he took a five-step and all of a sudden he's way too far out of the pocket that he's getting rushed in and pressured way too fast. So a lot of people see that. Most fans, I'd say, see that as, oh my gosh, the offensive line isn't blocking their man. But what it really comes down to is communication between the offensive line and the quarterback or the play caller on that football team. So, yeah. and I think that's another reason that Brock Osweiler's coming in. And Brock Osweiler's played with some of these guys, not all of them, because we have, you know, revamped the offensive line with Manley Watson, Leary, and Garrett Bowles. But the other two guys, 
they're they've played with him before. They know how he plays. They know how he calls the plays and makes sure that the offensive line knows what they're doing. So I think you're going to see a different game. I don't think you're going to see as many of those mistakes this week as far as the dropbacks and the rollouts and and the miscommunications between the receivers and anything like that. And I think that's really what they're trying to trying to go with here. And uh, so and again, keeping with our theme here is that it and not just the offensive line how they perform but how they communicate and how they trust their quarterback we know we have Emmanuel Sanders is back we still have Demarius Thomas who can be an explosive player if he gets the ball in his hands but there really needs to be that communication between the quarterback and the offensive line before anything else happens and the, the reason our run game has been so well is because they're great run blockers and they can clear a hole for anybody and you've seen it. I mean, we have three running backs that are doing just playing amazingly because our offensive line can open up those holes for them. So if they can have that communication with the quarterback, I think it's really going to step up the game. Now, I'm not saying our offensive line is great by any means. I, obviously, they have their mistakes that they have every once in a while. But I think most of those mistakes that you see when you're watching are based on miscommunication more than anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Communication is so key, especially at this level of football. And if they're not able to talk to each other and their quarterback, it's uh, it makes for a very long game. All right. Going to go ahead and move on from our uh, offensive line <laughs> sidebar there that we had. I hope you guys enjoyed it and, and, and you know take that to heart when you're watching this next game. We're going to go ahead and move on where we get to have a little bit of fun and get to be just like everybody else. And we get to guess what we think is going to happen in this game in Rain Man this week. Rain Man this week. So in Rain Man this week, we get to have a little bit of fun and guess what the score is. And if we want to take a shot in the dark and guess some any any other crazy predictions going on in this game, then we can. We'll go ahead and start with you. What do you think the score is going to be this week? Well, you know what? I'm expecting something similar to the Chiefs game. Um, I'm going to call, I'm going to say 28-17 for the Eagles. 28-17. Okay. And now, now do you think 17. you think those 17 points or at least one of those touchdowns is going to come in garbage time like it did last week? Yeah, probably. Probably. Or it's going to be <laughs> a tough half. Like, a first half, I mean. Like, you're only going to be a bit of back and forth, and the Eagles are just going to take off. Yeah. Um, one of them might be a garbage time at the end of the game. Uh, but I think Osweiler, since they don't really have film on, on him for this year, he might sneak in a touchdown or two early. But I feel like they're going to be able to, uh, you know, capitalize on him and his mistakes and, and, and their communication miscues and all that pretty early on. Right. Now, this might be the optimist in me, but I'm expecting a 27-26 win for the Broncos. And I think you're Ooh. right. I think most of those touchdowns and most of that scoring is going to happen in the first half because we're going to establish a little bit of a run game that they're not used to. And then we're going to open up that play action to something, again, that they're not used to. That defense is not used to having any running back run against them the way that we can. And once we open up that play action with a new quarterback that can roll out, I think that's really what it's going to come down to. And I think we're going to win it by a nail biter towards the end of the game, 27 to 26. All right. So that was rain man this week. We're going to go ahead and go into our next segment, our next and last segment, which is famous last words. Famous last words. Now, the Broncos are 0-3. Last three weeks, you pretty much called that the Broncos were going to lose, which I hate, but I guess that deserves a famous last word. So the floor is yours. 
Well, I thank you. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say. All I have to say is that in, in circumstances where a team loses a few games in a row, where you know you find yourself in a hole, you know, don't throw in the towel. It's not. It's not over yet. A few years ago, the Chiefs started 0 and 5 and they finished 11 and 5. A run can happen. You know, the Broncos right now they're changing gears a little bit. They're doing something a little bit different than they haven't done in bringing Osweiler in in the season, right? Instead of sticking with Simeon. Osweiler gives a fresh perspective. He gives a fresh set of legs and a fresh arm as well. He hasn't been beaten, bruised, and, and battered all year. He hasn't been hit to the ground. He's, he's fresh. He's ready to go. At the same time, one advantage I think he has that he hasn't had in the past is humility. This guy's been, you know, a, a renowned backup. He's been so demanded. He got a great contract and it didn't work out. And he went to the Browns. He got released by the Browns. You know, this guy's been pretty much thrown to the dirt after being put on a pedestal. And now he's got a second chance. Look for Osweiler to be very competitive. Look for him to 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 come into the game with a new sense of what it means to be a quarterback and to perform in that way too. What's the most important thing in this game though? You know, you might not like what I say, but it's not necessarily about the Broncos getting the win, but it's about the Broncos getting a sense that winning is possible. They re they need to gain momentum again. You know, they're playing against a very strong team. They're playing against a team that, you know, they might lose against. But if they come in and they put the Eagles down and they really attack them and they make some big plays and they show that they're still here to compete, watch for the rest of the season to be completely different. This is a pivot game for the Broncos and expect them to give them their all. Losing is not an option, but at the same time, neither is throwing in the towel and giving up and calling the season an end. Regardless of the outcome, they have to keep going and staying competitive throughout anything that happens. Well said, well said, sir. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe and rate the podcast. And I hope you guys like what you listen. If you do, share it with your friends. Let them know that we're out there and that we're talking pretty cool football stuff. So with that, thanks again, Matt, for uh, everything and all the insight that you've given us. I just have one more thing to add, Jerry, just before we go out. I just want to give a, a shout out to my friend Charles. He's been listening to our podcast every week. <laughs> he's one of my great friends in life, and uh, he's a huge Eagles fan. Um, he's going to be very excited for this game. So I hope I said enough good stuff for you, Charles, but, Charles, but thanks for listening to us every week, man. I really appreciate it. We'll have to give him a shout-out after the game again, too, if we ended up losing. I'll, I'll promise you that, Charles. I'll give you a shout-out if we lose this game. All right, perfect. And we're going to go ahead and take it out with the Mad Fanatic. Orange, man. I'm riding orange, man.